Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. Pastor Dwight begins our Advent series with a message about the overcoming light and how we need biblical light to grow and flourish. Most of you probably have a favorite Christmas movie. Um, There's a lot of them, but something that you maybe every year turn to or go back to. Um, It might be The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Uh, I don't know. Jim Carrey did the, the theatrical version. Uh, I said, the first, you know, Heather and I, actually, this week, the, the cartoon version was on. We watched it. We did The Grinch. I don't know what night it was on, but we were home. We had no kids. Let's watch The Grinch. And it came on. It was awesome. Boris Karloff, right? And so uh, maybe, maybe it's the Christmas story, that, that little boy named Ralphie and his, his quest for the Red Rider BB gun. Got to get that gun for Christmas, right? And the adventure of that. The, the, some of you like The Christmas Carol, uh, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and Bob Marley. Is it Bob Marley? Yeah. Bob. I, said, I think I said Bob Marley. It's the other, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley. Bob Marley's the other guy. Uh, Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit was the Bob and Tiny Tim, right? Uh, a little reggae on Christmas Carol Eve, right? Um, but, and then Home Alone is another classic. Um, Kevin is left home alone, and he's fighting off the, the bandits by himself. His family's at the airport. They forgot him, forgot him, and he's, he's battling the bad guys at home. Tim Keller talks about actually three elements of a story, uh, the stories that you and I tend to gravitate toward, really good stories. They eventually, of course, is also the framework for movies and plots for movies. But a good story has three clear elements. Number one, something knocks life out of balance. Things are not as they should be. So even in the Grinch, I found myself, I, I've seen that a few times, I must confess, and I, was, I forgot that the Grinch comes into the bedroom even slipping out the candy canes under the children as they're sleeping. And Lucy, uh, or what's, it, what's it, the who, the who's? Cindy Lou who? And Cindy Lou and her, her siblings are in bed, and the Grinch takes the candy canes out from under their hands. How cruel is that, right? So something is not as it should be, number one. Secondly, the protagonist or the hero struggles to restore the balance, while the antagonist or the bad guy works to thwart their efforts. So there's a conflict. There's a, a desire to restore that to what it should be, the way it should be, and then there's something against that that comes against it or someone. And then finally, see, the story ends as the struggle results in either the restoration of balance or the failure to recover it. So things either get wrapped up well or they fall apart. Now, I mentioned those Christmas stories it's interesting if you think about those four specifically. The Grinch who stole Christmas, at the end, what happens? He gives it back, right? He can't stop Christmas. He tried, but the Who's are out singing on Christmas morning, and so his heart you know, grows and grows, and he comes and brings all Christmas, comes back, and they have a beast, a feast with roast beast right there at the, at the, in the, the story. Right? So the Christmas story, Ralphie does, in fact, get the Red Rider BB gun. All is well. Ralphie got the gun. Christmas Carol, that old curmudgeon Ebenezer Scrooge, at the end, he embraces generosity. 
He is tight-fisted, closed down, mean, angry, grumpy, miserable, miserly. But and then through the story and the, the Christmas the Christmas past, the Christmas future, Christmas present, and he gets a revelation and he sees I need to open up my life and he becomes generous. And then home home alone, Kevin's family in fact does make it home for Christmas, and the bandits are hauled off to jail. The bad guys get taken away to jail, and so the story wraps up. As we, move, as we move into the depth of the Christmas story and we take a closer look at the gospel this month, the backdrop of the Christmas story, and you know it, the backdrop is that sin entered the world and things were no longer as they were supposed to be. And that, that happens very early in the story, Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis 3, a rupture occurred Sin enters the picture, and with sin comes death and darkness. And so that's the story. As it, and God provides the sacrifice, and God provides the law, and people are trying to get back to God, and they, they do everything they can to keep the law, but they can't. They can't keep the law. No one can get to God through the law. And so as we come into John's Christmas narrative this morning, God sends the light. It's dark in the story, and here comes the light. John chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there this morning. We're going to read the first 13 verses of this amazing passage of Scripture. I mean, John's gospel is, is so full and so rich, and here we are in the beginning of chapter 1, and verse 1, the declaration, as the Holy Spirit is speaking into John through John, and he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Your version may say has not comprehended it. There's a variant there. It, it, it has not overcome it. And then verse 6, and he's going to speak about the, the Baptist, John, the one who came as a forerunner. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That was his purpose. And there's that amazing story that I think Luke captures of the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. John's in the womb. They're both pregnant. And the baby leaps within her because here comes the Messiah into the room. Wow, love that. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
Mm. There are so many things that make John's gospel, as I used the phrase earlier, rich, full. And we're going to press in this morning to the light eventually. But first, right out of the gate, there's this powerful declaration surrounding the word. He starts in the beginning, the opening couple verses, to talk about the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. If you remember Matthew's gospel, if you read through starting the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, in his genealogy, he starts the chapter, chapter one, with the genealogy of Jesus. And he starts with Abraham. He goes back to Abraham, the father of the promise, the father of the covenant. And God came to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abraham, and out of you, all the nations, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so the line runs all the way from Abraham to Jesus, 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, 14 more from the exile to Christ, 14 more. So these generations add up, and eventually the promise comes, and Jesus is born. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, John's genealogy, and I know it's not a genealogy, but a form of a genealogy, goes all the way back. He starts out going all the way back to even further. He goes to Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, before Adam before there was any man or woman on earth, there was him. He was, always was, and was with God, and in fact, was God. I love the, the, the way John comes at that. In the beginning was the logos, the word, the logos, and the word was with God. The word was God. So the word of God, in, and here's what I want to tell you this morning too. In the old, the old some of you may not always embrace as you read the Old Testament, you're like, it's hard to understand. Sometimes I don't have understanding of the Jewish culture, the customs, it's, it's ancient story. And so you, you may struggle more with the Old Testament. But the Old Testament and the New Testament are like this, hand in glove. And so God has given us all the 66 books because they belong. And they all, from Genesis to Revelation, they're all pointing to the centrality of this word, Jesus, the Son of God. It all points to him. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a, 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 the Word of God has a, has a lot of bandwidth. So it starts with the Word God in His powerful action in creation. How did creation come to be? The Bible tells us that God spoke, and it was. He spoke creation into being by the Word of His mouth, the power of the Word of God to create and so it starts all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. The Bible also tells us in the Old Testament that when God speaks, the word of God brings about deliverance. And so in Psalm 107, verse 20, the Bible says he sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued and delivered them from the grave by his word. Judgment is another word that comes to us. When God is preparing to judge, he speaks. This is my declaration. This is what I'm about to do. Holy God, righteous God, perfect God, and unholy people. 
And so God, at times, all throughout the Old Testament, brings about a word of judgment that he speaks into being. It is the word of God who gives understanding to the prophets concerning the mind and the will of God. How do the prophets know what God is thinking? He speaks to them. He declares to them. He calls to them. Jeremiah says it in chapter 1, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so Jeremiah received the word of God that launched him into his prophetic ministry. Ezekiel got the same word. Isaiah got the same word. All the prophets received. How do they? This is what the Lord has said. Thus saith the Lord. And then he would reveal to them what he wanted them to declare to the people, to the nations. And so the word of God was primary in that whole process. And then the embodiment of wisdom itself in the scriptures, the word of God and the wisdom of God. Just like this. In fact, if you read in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 and following, I love this, wisdom speaking. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains, the fountains of the deep. Verse 30, then I was the craftsman, verse capital C, craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole, whole world and delighting in mankind. This wisdom, this word of God. In fact, isn't it interesting? Because there is, there's John saying in, in chapter one, verses two, three, he was with God in the beginning. Wisdom declaring, I was with God in the beginning. The word was with God in the beginning. The word was God. And so here's John, the evangelist coming along. And I use that word, the evangelist, because out of all the, the gospel writers, every gospel is, if you study it, is oriented towards a specific audience. Matthew is specifically writing towards the Jewish audience. They believe Mark's writing towards a Roman audience. A book of action, 15, 16 chapters, boom, 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 boom. Rome was a place of action, a, a nation of action. Here comes Luke writing more to the, to the Greeks in that culture. My dear Theophilus, he writes this account. And here comes John writing, in a sense, a broader message to the whole world. God loved the whole world. He sent his son so the whole world might believe. And so the evangelist, as he's speaking, he uses this word lagos in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Greek lagos, which would have spoken actually to his Greek readers, those who were reading from that nation. In ancient Greek, lagos was known as the shaping, ordering, directing principle in the universe. So the Greeks would look around at creation and back then say, where did all this order come from? Where did all this design come from? Because it's obvious it didn't just happen. It didn't just, there wasn't just a random collection of molecules that came together at the right time and in the right sequence, and now we have all this. No, there had to be a first cause, an ordering principle, a designing principle, and they called that the logos. Now, Here's the diff huge difference. For the Greeks, Lagos was distinct from the material historical world. It was a principle. It was an idea outside of us. 
And here's where John comes. For John, as he declares the gospel, the good news, he says the word is revealed precisely in its becoming flesh. It comes among us. He comes among us. Verse 14. I didn't read verse 14, but verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came and was born of a virgin, born in a specific town called Bethlehem, born in a stable, in a manger, perhaps surrounded by animals. We don't know for sure, but likely in the barnyard. He was born and he cried and he had he went to the bathroom. I don't know if they had, you know, pampers and diapers back then, but Jesus would have had those normal human functions. Wow. The logos became flesh. It wasn't just out here a design, an idea, a concept. No, he was a person and he came among us. And he was not just a person, he was the very God of very God. He was God. Hmm. John begins with the clear proclamation, Jesus is God. The Word is God. There is no distinction between God in essence, no distinction between God the Father and the Word, the Son. Both are equal in the Godhead. In fact, Jesus affirmed that. As he came along in John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. John 14, verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's where they were talking about, hey, we don't know the way because I'm the way and the truth and the life. Verse 6, Philip says, we don't know the way. He said, if you've seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. You want to know how to get to the Father? Through me. I and the Father are one. He makes that declaration. The significance of this opening phrase of John is that the God who speaks in the Old Testament, who entered into covenant with his people Israel, and who inspired and moved the prophets, was none other than the God known and revealed in Jesus Christ. That is powerful. All that happened here is in shaping and bringing about what now he comes on the scene. The light has come. The life. Mm. Now we're going to move to that. Life and light and darkness. And here's the thing. We absolutely know that light and life go hand in hand. Things, plants, animals, people need light to live and flourish and grow. I don't know if you've ever been in a really dark cave, uh, if you've been down in a big cave where there's no light. I mean, we, we did this, what, 2005, Heather and I took our kids. Our kids were young. Kenzie was three. We're out near Yellowstone, found this uh, Lewis and Clark Cavern, really awesome place. It was, it was the deep, and it was dark, and you had to, places you had to slide on your back through openings and crawl through openings to get down into places. Great. Why did we, why did we think that was a good idea? I mean, what, all these backpacks, kids, like, let's go into a cave, right? Now, here's the thing. When you get down, 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 down in this big cave, and they finally turn the lights on, you know what you notice? There's nothing green down there. Nothing's growing down there. There's 
stalactites and stalagmites and water and a lot of cold rock. But there's no life down in the depths of the darkness because we need light. In fact, some of you who suffer with seasonal depression, and I know that's a thing. Winter comes, it's like, wow, I got to get some light. I need some vitamin D. I need some light, long days, long nights, short days. I, I need some light. So you understand the importance of light in terms of even just thriving, living. You think about creation. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, what was the first word of creation that brought about all of life as we know it? What did God start with? Let there be light. Life starts with light. We're going to have life on this planet. Light, come forth. God speaks it. Let there be light. And God saw that the light was good and separated it from the darkness. And he made day and night. Here's the thing, and I want to share this with you. I, I ran this insight this week as I was studying. Skip Isaac indebted to him for this. When the Bible talks about life, there are actually three different dimensions to it. There is, and I gave you outlines. You can write in these on your outline if you want to. The first one is bios, all Greek words here. Bios, which means biological life. And so we talk about creation. We talk about our bodies. We talk about the, the natural world in which we live and the creative, that's biological, bios, biological life. Some of those things we just talked about. The second part of life is what they call suke. And suke is our inner life. We all have an inner life. We think, we feel, we have emotions, we have a will, we make choices. And so we all are processing day by day. We have a suke, uh, literally soul, psych, we get the word psychology, suke, suke, inner life. We all have an inner life, right? Suke. And then John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. The word there is zoe. Zoe, Zoe, which is a quality of life that comes from God. It is life that lasts forever. When Jesus comes along in John chapter 10, it says, I have come that they might have Zoe, they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Abundant life is Zoe life. It's what Jesus came to bring. So you got biological you got the inner life, the suke, and then you have the zoe, which is the quality of life that, that our hearts, actually our souls long for. What Jesus came to bring us when it says life. In him, verse 4, was life. And some of the terms that we'll use for that are new life. I have new life. I have a spiritual life. My eyes have been opened. I have a, a saving life has come. Eternal life has come. It's the opposite of spiritual death. And that's the power of the light. In fact, in verse 9, it says, the true light that gives light to every man, every person. The true. And what does the, what does the true light do? It helps us to see our deepest need. Our deepest need is for life. And that's what the light comes to turn and help us to see our need for life. Apart from believing in Jesus, we are all dead. That's what the Bible declares. In fact, Paul speaks to that, I would say, almost in some ways a companion passage, Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. 
It's interesting how the, the, the life talked about in chapter 1, John, and then here comes in chapter 2, Paul says this, as for you, he says, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. No hope done. Gone. Finished. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Couldn't get back to God in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, our flesh. We've, we've followed our heart, our, we followed our heart, our flesh. And following his desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, God's righteous anger his holy anger. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's, 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 what, that's in, in essence, the, the, what John, John and Paul are saying the same thing. In him was life. You were dead, and here comes the life. Here comes the light into the darkness. Piper says, we don't really know what spiritual death and life are until we relate them to light and darkness and blindness. Most of the people that you see walking around doing their Christmas shopping look alive. When you go into the stores and you go to the mall or you go to the outlets or you want around town to go to goods, people, they look alive. People aren't dead because they can't walk or talk or think or feel, or even see with their physical eyes, they are dead because, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, 13, seeing, they do not see. They see with their natural eyes, but they don't see with the eyes of their heart. They don't see with their spiritual eyes. They don't see Jesus as supremely valuable. They don't see Jesus for who he is, the son of the living God, the Messiah sent by God. They don't see his sacrifice as precious. They don't see his fellowship as their greatest treasure. They are blind to these things. They walk in darkness. They are spiritually dead to these greatest of all realities. If they are going to see these things and receive them, they must have life Life will make seeing possible. New life brings light. New life makes seeing possible. When death is replaced with life, darkness is replaced with light. That's the work of God by the Spirit of God in our lives through Jesus Christ. The power of that. In fact, John, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. When whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus came to bring us out of darkness, to help us to see, to see our need for God, to see God, and then to see our need for him and to embrace God's gift, God's sacrifice, the, the, what, the way that God made through the way and the truth and the life. The power of the light is that it dispels 
and pushes back and overcomes darkness. And that is really important. In fact, um, this morning, it was dark. You know, it was a dark morning. If you got up early this morning, I mean, it was not, uh, it was, there was very little light in the morning, early morning sky. And our house was dark. And I came down the dark steps and I came around the corner and we have our tree set up and we have a Heather by her genius. She had a little, uh, now we don't have to unplug and unplug the plugs, four or five of them into the light. She has it set up so that I can just push this button over here. And so I just, you know, it was dark, but I, I kind of know where it was on top of the T tea, the tea thing there. Grabbed it, hit button three, light came on. Here comes light. Darkness was dispelled. It was moved to the corners of the room. Now I could see. Now I can move around the house safely because I had light. That's what light does. It dispels it. It moves. It overcomes darkness. It's greater than darkness. And it's crucial that John starts in the beginning, as we talked about, because he, he establishes up front the light is, in fact, God. The Word is God. The light is God. Because the light is God, nothing can overcome it. Nothing can overcome God. Jesus is God. The Word is God. So the Word is the light comes. You, it will not be overcome. God cannot be overcome by anything in all of creation. In fact, he says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or has not overcome it. John used a very interesting word, which can actually can have two meanings. It's the word catalambano. And if you, even, even in the English, if you talk about grasping something, it could have two different dimensions to it. You could say, I can't grasp that thing. In other words, I can't understand it. I can't comprehend that concept. I'm having a hard time grasping it. Or you could mean, I'm trying to pick that thing up and I can't grasp it. I can't snatch it. I can't retrieve it. I'm not able to. And so John talks about catalambano. He says the darkness has not catalambano. It has not, people have not understood it. And, they, and also in the same sense, it, is, it has not been, the darkness has not overcome the light. And so there's, a two, there's two dimensions to that. And John was very specific in using that word. God has not, God has left us without excuse. He's given us the light. In fact, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, the light of creation. The fact that creation shows us God. It declares something important about God and what he has made. All that has been made tells us something about God. And then also he says in chapter 1 that we also have the light of creation. We have the light of conscience. Our conscience is because the Bible says in Romans 1.19, because the, that which is known about God is evident within them within them. And so we have, we've been given a moral compass, a, an understanding of what is right and what is wrong, what is just and what is unjust. Now here's the thing, the fall has corrupted that. And so our consciences don't work the way they're designed to work, but they were designed to help us navigate with understanding and truth through life. And so the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word of God is to help us in that. We have the light of creation, the light of the conscience, and then of course, we have the light, the light, the light of the world, the light of Christ. His life is our light. He has come. And how does the light triumph? Down in verses 12 and 13. Again, hear the word of the Lord. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. God's answer to the deadness, to the blindness, to the darkness of the world is, is in fact, the new birth. It is being born. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. You can't see the kingdom of God without being born of the Spirit, without being born again. And so God in his awesome power and majesty made a plan for us to overcome. He said, I'm going to give you new life so that you could have light to see. I'm going to cause you to be born again by my Spirit so that you can see as you have life coming into you, you can see the reality of how, who I am and who you are and your great need of me. God wants to turn the lights on in your life. He wants to give you life. His life is your light. And so the Bible makes it very clear in John 1:12. Would you like to receive him today and become his child. To all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Thank you for listening to our latest sermon. Join us throughout December as we study light and the role it plays in the gospel and the Christmas story. In the meantime, connect with us online. Visit our website at www.provchurch.net or check out our Facebook at Prov Church Life. Until next time.